I can do all things through Christ. Paul said, uh, through him, referring to Jesus Christ, who strengthens me. That's a remarkable statement. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You really don't express something like that unless you know it to be true. Unless you have experience in realizing in all of the details of life, the difficulties of life, unless you know a strength in Jesus Christ to do things that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And that really becomes the uh, counterposition as we consider in this uh, final message on Samson, the life of Samson. Samson's story is a cautionary tale, a tragedy, a warning. Like time-lapse photography, Samson's story compresses over 20 years into a few minutes of close reading that highlights an inescapable moral. God had great things in store for Samson. For all his power, he becomes weaker and weaker, even a broken man, seeking to fill his life with everything but God. We see in the end an ordinary man, and not the greatness of God. Passions, commitment, and intimacy. Uh, I shared Sternberg's triangle of love to uh, give us a, kind of a, a way of seeing what was at work in Samson's self-centered desire for self-satisfaction. And if we see anything in the life of Samson, and I think that, as I said, the 20 years kind of scoped down into what for us is a few minutes of close reading there's something to be seen in what is selectively revealed to us about the life of Samson. And it is a life that is consumed with self-satisfaction in every dimension of his life to the neglect of God. Only twice does he call upon God and it is at those points in his life 
when he can't do anything for himself. And God responds to him. But in his life, we see that without God, passions, his passions enslave him because he's self-centered. He's all about self-gratification, making, as a result, his appetites ravenous and insatiable without limit. He's a man of lust, a man of anger, a man of vengeance, a man with power but no self-control. He's the poster child for love of the world. It's a smaller world than the world we know through mass media, but it's a world that's represented by the Philistines. And he has a great attraction to the Philistines. The Apostle John spoke of a world that is one in which love for it leaves no room for love of God. He described it as a world of lust, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I see Samson. He's a shallow, vengeful man, pouting when things don't go his way. His passions, lacking higher purpose, rule him and lead him. He's the last of the judges, a judge that can't lead himself, let alone help or lead others. Passions enslave him because he knows no ruler but himself. Without God, commitments. Commitments only serve him. They never serve others. He uses commitments to get what he wants. We'd never imagine that he belonged to a covenant community, a covenant people, and a covenant God. To Samson, commitments are all about getting, never about giving, about his rights above all others, never about the rights of others. Without God, Passions enslave him. Commitments only serve him. And intimacy escapes him. He knows no one. He knows, knows no one. He's oblivious to the cares, concerns, consequences of any of the people in his life who are dynamically connected to him or dependent upon him in his life and in his actions. He uses people, but only if he needs them. He's not there if they need him. 
people only have value and worth to Samson as they conserve his desires. If affection is born of appreciation, of being known and knowing others, who knew Samson? Who liked Samson? Who trusted Samson? What if Samson's story ended very differently? Not with a miserable death, but a miraculous escape. And then with that miraculous escape, a million-dollar book deal and a publicity junket to promote his book. And what if in an interview, obviously an interview with the whole world watching, Samson were asked, Samson, where is God when you need him? Samson, where is God when you need him? I don't know. We could uh, spin some yarns as to the possible ways Samson could answer that question. But one way in which the writer of Judges answers that question for us on behalf of Samson, is that Samson only needed God when his strength failed him. But we know God is there all the time. I know in my life, God is there all the time. But I don't know it until I need him. Samson's problem is our problem too. We seek God only when we need him, but we need him for the great things that he wants to do in our lives, not just the great things that we want to do in our own. It, it kind of seems amazing to me it was in the 1980s. Shelley and I were over in San Francisco, and I was pastoring a church. I w- had already graduated from college and from seminary with my master's degree. These were both courses of education that had to do with coming to know God better and know his word better. And I was a pastor, an ordained pastor, But there were still areas in my life in which I hadn't turned things over to God. In fact, the striking thing to me now, especially in the light of these years, you know, Shelley and I had been married over 10 years. And I had been walking with the Lord in this, you know, greatly committed life for over 10 years. And yet it was during that time that it hit me in a new and even more powerful way that I was seeking my satisfaction, my significance as a person. I was seeking 
my sense of worth and importance and meaning in Shelley. And it created a wide range of difficulties and anxieties and frustrations in my life, the dynamics of of constantly looking to her for my sense of purpose and meaning, that I was okay, that I'm accepted, that I'm loved. You might be able to relate in your life. Sometimes we look to others, we look to people for our sense of completeness, uh, the reminder that we're important, that we're okay, that we count, that we matter. But until we find that most important sense of worth, identity, value, in essence, our satisfaction in the Lord, we'll be dependent on others in a way that cripples us, for the work of God. And at that time in my life, that was a huge turning point in our relationship. Because I found new strength, new power to love, even if I wasn't loved first or loved in return. To forgive. To be kind. to to trust the Lord and be patient with him, in him, and with Shelley and others. I could go on and elaborate, but I hope that that illustrates the fact that people don't complete people. God completes us. He is the one who is our creator, and we have a God-shaped vacuum, if you will, in our lives that only he can fill. And like Samson, we can be seeking to fill and to become complete through others, through different pursuits. And only God can fill us and complete us. And only then can the greatness of God begin to be seen. An imperfect person cannot make you or me whole. A spouse in marriage is a life partner, but not our Savior. John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Drawing on that essential truth and relating it to the life of Samson, a life of pursuit, a life of seeking satisfaction in everything but God, I want us to appreciate that when we find our greatest satisfaction in God, others find God's greatness in us. The greatness that was to be seen and experienced, the greatness of God in Samson was not realized because Samson never sought his satisfaction. That is, his purpose, his identity, 
his life in God. And I think that, as we'll see in God, greater intimacy is enabled. In God, greater commitment is empowered. In God, greater passion is ennobled. Because as I said, and using that triangle of love just to kind of give us a, a way of, of kind of seeing and, and making, a, so to speak, a graph of Samson's pursuits, he was driven by his passions. He used commitments to further his own interests, and he never, as the writer reveals, found intimacy, meaningful relationship with others, didn't care for others, and others didn't care for him. In God, greater intimacy is enabled. Greater commitment is empowered, and greater passion is ennobled. Let me just review Sternberg's triangle of love. Not love triangle, but triangle of love. Intimacy, commitment, and passion, the three significant sides of love in Sternberg's research. And uh, if you recall, when I introduced this at one point a few weeks ago, I drew upon Sternberg just to give us a way of getting at the question of what Samson meant when he said, I love you. And when Delilah says, how can you say I love you if your heart is not with me? And I brought to mind the fact that in our society, we use the word love in so many different ways. I love that. I'd love to go with you. And Sternberg, I think, does the most able job of showing these components of the way we generally use the word love and how by configuring them in different ways, we get a kaleidoscope of understanding of love. I'm not going to look at that entire kaleidoscope, but intimacy he describes as liking and caring. And we looked at that when we were in the life of Samson and judges. Um, liking and caring. Intimacy is that uh, way of knowing people. And the key word in intimacy in the Old Testament is the word know, K-N-O-W. Not know, you can't, but know as in to experience, to discover, to be familiar, to express caring concern, insight, and understanding. Even physical intimacy is associated with the word know in the Old Testament. We often say people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, in biblical thought, these words care and know can be used interchangeably. In fact, 
At one point in chapter 15, verse 11, the Judeans, covenant brothers before God with Samson, ask Samson, don't you know the Philistines are rulers over us? And I hear them asking, Samson, don't you care? Doesn't it matter to you that the Philistines are rulers over us? You've drawn them right into our backyard. You've you've done things to us in your treatment and in the way you're interacting with the Philistines that have put us in jeopardy. And Samson only says, well, they hurt me, so I hurt them. I just want you to understand that intimacy is kind of like the entry level of personal relationships, of acquaintanceship, of growing friendship, and it has to do with knowing and caring. It has to do with understanding and experiencing. If we treat people like things, we'll never know them. If people are just objects to us, we'll never know them. This is basic, so to speak, level 101 love. And when you think about it, from Genesis to the gospel, every person we're told in Genesis bears the very image of God, his special creation. That gives every person a certain dignity. It changes everything in the way we should see people. People are worth knowing. But the crowning understanding is the dignity that the gospel gives to each and every person. A dignity that is measured by the very love of God in Jesus Christ. A colleague of mine used to say to me, John, you're worth the one and only Son of God. He could say that to me because of the gospel. The gospel which bears the great message that God sent his one and only, his unique Son, to die a death in our place, which places an equivalent value upon each and every person. If we look at people this way, it changes the way we know them. It changes the way we value them. It changes the way we see them and care about them. It's a value placed upon people by God that begins with us fully understanding this when we realize God places that value upon us. Not only in God does he enable greater intimacy, but he enables and empowers greater commitment. But let me push on to talk about The fact that intimacy is the emotional component of love, closeness, sharing, communicating inner feelings and support. This is the way intimacy should build. 
a long, slow curve. Companionate love, according to Sternberg, is intimacy that is strengthened and safeguarded with growing commitment. Commitment is the cognitive, the, if you will, decision-making side, the choosing side of love. Commitment runs like this. It grows slow, but then it goes higher and is sustained if it's a true commitment. And then he talks about complete love, as he describes it, made up of intimacy, commitment, and then passion. Passion is the motivational component. Kissing and hugging, touching, desire, positive attraction. This is the way passion runs. (laughs) We'll take a little closer look at that in a moment. But we see that in Samson. Passions run high. Passions don't just involve lust. They they involve anger in the spectrum between the two. The path of intimacy, knowing a person, not just knowing them as if we know facts, because people are more than facts, but to know people as so much more through the eyes of God. And just in a, a personal note, the, the more I walk with Christ, the more I want to know people more. They're a treasure trove of uh, just wonderful things. But sometimes we treat people as though they're one-dimensional. And we don't appreciate them because we don't see them through the eyes of Genesis and the gospel. We don't see them through the eyes of of God, but our experience with people can reinforce what God sees as we get to know them, as we enter into community with people. And with that, then, commitment is uh, strengthened, and that's very important. So these are the three sides of love, and I just use this as a a template, if you will, to help us better understand Samson and then look at some things that God does in our lives when we put him first and we find our satisfaction in him. Because as I said, intimacy uh, is enabled and commitment is empowered. Samson had it backwards. His passions shaped his commitments. When we're all about getting for ourselves, uh, we'll use commitments to get what we want. And then, of course, commitments become highly conditional. If we don't get what we want, then, of course, we are free to abandon that relationship, to walk away from it. And that's the nature of a commitment that is really more of a contract and not a covenant. Our God is a covenant God. And his love for us raises, so to speak, the standard of our own understanding of love because we know his love to be faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. 
Uh, in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul says, although we are faithless, he is faithful. And that, of course, makes a big difference when it comes to the church and relationships with one another. It also makes a big difference in our marriages. Jeff and Janet Johnson said, marriage protects love. Love does not protect marriage. They're using the word marriage as a synonym of commitment. Commitment protects love. Love doesn't protect commitment. Well, I think they're using love in a more kind of worldly understanding of love to communicate the importance of commitment. We know God loves in a way that is covenant love, loving kindness, loyal love are the ways that we've seen covenant and love go together. Bob Craning said, and this was from uh, 2007 when Shelley and I intended, attended a a couples conference. We keep going to, cover, to couples conferences, by the way. It's always good to be reminded to learn new things, to be spurred on. That's, in fact, why we want to sit under God's Word on a regular basis. We want His thoughts to become our thoughts, and we need that every day. But Bob Craning at this uh, couples conference said, if your commitment is greater than your problem, you will always solve your problem. If your commitment is greater than your problem, you will always solve your problem. Think about your own relationships, spousal, you know, your husband or your wife. Think about family relationships. Think about the church. So often we treat these relationships as contractual relationships. And those are the kinds of relationships that Samson entered to get something. And when he didn't get it, he broke contract. He was no longer stipulated to be faithful because that's the way contracts work. If you uh, both agree, but if you violate a stipulation of the contract, then the contract is broken and you're no longer obligated. But in God's covenant love, he remains faithful even when we aren't. And as we grow in our relationship with him, not just when we need him like Samson called on God, but when we learn to depend on him in all circumstances, all the time, when we remember that we can do all things through him who strengthens us, when we realize that he in whom we depend, God said, my strength is made perfect in weakness, then he shows greatness in our lives in the ways that we become more and more like the Lord, more and more Christ-like in the light of the cross and the resurrection, in the light of the gospel, in the light of the Spirit empowering us. God demonstrates His greatness in the way we become more intimate and we become people of greater and greater commitment. 
intimacy and commitment that the world hungers for, that it doesn't see in this world. When we're being pounded daily about events such as those we're hearing about in Gaza or in the Ukraine with the downing of of the Malaysian airliner. And we don't have to go far. We talk to, when we get to know people, we're constantly made aware of some of the great tragedies in our own neighborhood and in our own experience. We, each one, if I may be so bold, can be a Samson but not a Samson who seeks only himself, but a Samson of God's desire. Just as each and every one of us is a Christian, we are Christ right where we live in our own homes, in our own neighborhoods, in our own communities of experience. But so often, we're infatuated with the Philistine. And we know God only when our own strength fails us. Remember, there's no perfect spouse. There's no perfect anyone. There's no Instagram marriage. The doctrine of sin runs deep and wide throughout the Scripture. And we know it deep in our own hearts. Only his power can conquer that. Howard Hendricks, late professor of Dallas Theological Seminary, tells of a student who came to his office with a profile of the woman that he planned to marry. And he handed Hendricks a three written or typed pages uh, of uh, specifications. And uh, Howard Hendricks asked the student uh, if he could ask him a question. And he says, sure, that's why I'm here. And uh, Howard Hendricks asked him, how many of these specifications are true of you? It's so easy for us to, when we're seeking satisfaction in other people, to become disenchanted, disgusted with their shortcomings and failings. But when we look within ourselves, we see our thirst our drought, our need for grace. And it fills us with a compassion for people that we can have because we realize that compassion has been poured out lavishly upon us. And it makes a difference in the way we see others and treat others, even in our own marriages. I see most people in my office for counseling in areas of relationships because they're disgusted with another person. They have become, so to speak, occupied with the failing of another person. And yet we are to be part of God's solution wherever we are. Because God has done this incredible work in us through Jesus Christ. 
Passions are ennobled. Passions. When I say they're ennobled, I mean they're dignified, civilized, cultivated. Samson's passions were from lust, from sexual to anger. And they show us how wild and destructive passions can be. Passions always run hot and cold. There's no in between. C.S. Lewis said it well in The Four Loves. Passions die on us with extraordinary abruptness and completely. And I mention this because it's passions that can so grip us that in their grip, we make decisions and choices that are sometimes not only self-destructive, but destructive for others as well. And if we are people, or we indulge ourselves and become, so to speak, preoccupied only with what's best for us, we don't think about what our decisions and choices will make and mean for the people in our lives as well as the people that are affected by our decisions. And sometimes they're so destructive, they can radically alter the direction of our lives. But the alternative is sometimes so challenging because it means waiting patiently upon God, trusting our needs, our satisfaction, our gratification, our fulfillment to Him. And sometimes it just seems quite boring But when we do and we're conscious and deliberate about it, he brings things that if if we're mindful of him all the time, we, we break out in praise because we see where he has brought us, where he's protected us, how he's brought fruit and reward and goodness to our lives. I deal with broken relationships such as that which Randy Freeze talked about, he stopped to visit a businessman. You know how you walk into an office that you've never been and you kind of look around. If you ever come to visit me, I hope you do, um, you'll look around at what's, you know, in there. He saw a picture of the businessman and his wife. And then he Gazing at it, said, nice picture. And when he turned around to face the businessman, the businessman had tears streaming down his face. And Frazee asked, why are you crying? And the businessman said, and I quote, there was a time in our marriage when I was unfaithful to my wife. And she found out about it. She was so deeply hurt and injured that she was going to leave me and take the kids with her. I was overwhelmed at the mistake I had made. I shut down the affair. I went to my wife in total brokenness, knowing I didn't deserve her forgiveness, and I asked her to forgive me, and she forgave me. This picture was taken shortly after that. When I see this picture, I see a woman who forgave me. I see a woman who was willing to stand with me in this picture, So when you see this picture, you say, nice picture. 
But when I see this picture, I see my life given back to me. When we learn to turn our passions over to the Lord, when they're, so to speak, ennobled within a commitment in which right thinking, smart thinking, wise thinking prevails, and we're, so to speak, willing to trust even our passions into the Lord. And I say this at a time in our lives when we are just constantly bombarded with false messages and deceptive messages that deceive us and lead us to think that I'm not getting all that the world wants me to have. I'm stuck here in this relationship or my life doesn't count. Or who am I? I could be somebody if. And it triggers those passions and calls us away from commitment to those in our lives and to the true knowing and intimacy that God wants to develop and prosper. But it all begins with uh, turning our greatest needs over to Him, finding that in Him who strengthens me, I can do all things, do things that ennoble my life, do things that bring virtue, valor, honor, things that if our lives were through some kind of time-lapsed photography to capture our lives in the close reading of a few minutes would allow us to look at our lives and see what's really important and see that we stood up for things that really mattered because we had a higher understanding of what counts because God had revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ and called us to things that are of eternal worth and value. I can't remember it word perfect, but Martin Luther said, God created out of nothing. And Luther said, it's with the person who is nothing that he can create great things. We're going to grow in our relationship with the Lord as we trust Him. Learn to trust Him, not just when your strength fails you. Spend time with Him daily. Read His Word. Meditate on who He is. Invest your life in knowing Him. And He will impel you as He impels us all to know others to be enabled in our intimacy, greater commitment, and ennobled in our passions. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us, but after I pray, I, I can't help but thinking some of us need, because I know me, and... Uh, I found coming in with all of this kind of in my heart this morning that some of the songs we sang expressed 
so importantly, so beautifully, um, the need to turn into the Lord, the need to abandon our own enterprises and realize that all that we are and all that he wants us to be, his greatness for us is realized when we find in him everything. This morning, he calls you to that. And if you'd like to pray with us, me, some of the elders or their wives, pastoral staff, we invite you to come. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we know these truths to be self-evident in the gospel. And we pray, Father, that they will become even more and more the experience of our confession that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We praise you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, God bless you.